It's the biggest tech event in the world and there's always a massive amount of new gadgets to discover. Today we're talking about CES 2024 in the year that AI took centre stage. Welcome to episode 67 of Sideload. Hello and welcome to Sideload, the technology podcast from Edelman. I'm Jermaine Dallas, and today we're talking and reflecting on the tech show that has all the people talking, CES 2024 in Las Vegas. As always, there was lots to see, a huge amount to take in, and a seemingly endless number of companies all competing for our attention. So do you want AI, robots, next-gen EVs? Well, we've got it all here, and we're going to be guided by some of the Edelman team who are there in person to experience it all. Jessica Ranfull is a tech specialist based in Seattle. She's been at the company for eight years and has worked on a broad range of global clients, including AMD and Adobe. Gary Grossman is the global lead of Edelman's AI Center of Excellence, and he's been with the company for well over a decade, and he's based in Portland, Oregon. And Michael Thompson leads the tech team in Canada. He has over a decade of experience too, some seasoned Edelman veterans on the show today. So Jessica, Gary, Michael, thanks so much for joining us on Sideload. So I'm going to start off with a question about AI. So naturally, I'm going to address that to Gary first. So what were some of the most exciting use cases of AI that you saw at CES 2024? Well, thank you. And and nice to be on the show. I would say that, first of all, AI was everywhere. You might even say it was ubiquitous across the show, and it didn't even matter what the product category was. So the most interesting thing to me was probably the Rabbit R1, which actually was not shown on the floor, but was released in conjunction with CES. And that is a a pocket-sized device that offers a new way of interacting with apps, and it offers an alternative to smartphones. And right now, this is kind of the hottest area, I think, or one of them, certainly, because a lot of companies are scrambling to figure out what is going to be the device for the AI era. Will it be the smartphone or will it be some new form factor? And many may have seen a release a few months ago for something called the Humane AI pin, which might be a candidate for that new device. But right now, the the Rabbit R1 could be the, the winner, or at least the early winner. And just a, about a week, they got a hundred thousand orders for it for the product. So to me, that was the most exciting. So I, I saw this, and it did make me think: Are we going back to having a device for this and a device for that? Because we're always going to have smartphones, right? And and from what I hear from the rabbit, it doesn't want to replace; it wants to be an addition to. Are we just going to have lots of different devices again? I mean, it's very much an, an open question whether or not this would supplant the phone. Probably not, certainly not in the near term, but I think it's maybe a step towards whatever it is that's going to come next. And maybe it will be the rabbit or some future iteration of the rabbit, or it could be that just say Apple will come out with a device that does what the rabbit does and then some, which is maybe more likely, but I think it's just going to be a very dynamic next several years in the device area. 
And Jessica, anything from that you saw AI related at the show this yeah, year? Yeah, thank you. There were quite a few different AR and smart glasses variations that I saw that had some pretty, I think, really helpful day-to-day applications for people. So some of them went the way of AI smart assistants, or they had a 3D map that you could kind of navigate through a new city, real-time translation and auto captions for some people, which I thought was really useful. I saw one smart glasses application that just seemed very useful and practical for for certain people. It addresses age-related macular degeneration where you lose sight in the center of your eye. And the glasses have a 4K camera that takes in what you're supposed to be seeing and then projects the image you're missing to the peripheral of your eye and basically restores a lot of sight for people, which I thought was great. And um, how about yourself, Michael? Any AI things in particular that stood out? Yeah, that's super interesting. One of the most fascinating things I think about CES is it's so big and there's so much going on that you also miss a lot. So Jessica, I didn't know about that at all. Obviously, the rabbit has generated a lot of coverage. One that would I would file under the more novel uses of AI is Bird Box, which I don't know if you all saw that, but it is a bird feeder that's AI powered and you know has camera capabilities and so it's able to help, you know, folks identify which birds are visiting, but even more than that, a specific bird. So if someone is coming back at a regular time, they're able to track and understand that, which I, I found really fascinating. Although I don't think we'll put ornithologists out of business, hopefully anyways. You know, there was also binoculars that used AI to identify birds. So as you're looking through the binocular, it'll tell you what bird you're looking at. The bird watching industry is clearly ripe for disruption. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you you mentioned there about not not putting ornithologists out of out of business, but I, I know a lot of people are worried about being um, displaced by AI, and, and there's a lot there's a, a lack of trust, and 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 we've seen it in the Edelman trust um, barometer data that's that's just come out. People still don't trust AI. So, was there enough at CES to reassure users that? AI will help them in many ways, or does this all just make them more afraid? I think the short answer is no, at least from my perspective. It certainly demonstrated some of the value that AI will bring to people. I would say, you know, CES is a very like gadget focused kind of show, although I think we'll talk about Auto a little bit later, which also has a huge presence. In my head, a lot of the disruption that's going to have that people are afraid of and don't fully understand probably lives a little bit more in the back end of of how AI will be deployed in like a B2B setting in other companies. So, but I will say that, you know, everyone went in on AI. So one of the things that I found really interesting was for years, you've heard a lot about smart devices, whether that's a smartphone or a smart toaster or a smart, really anything, or the word intelligent to describe a device that can do things. You didn't really hear any of those words and all of those words were replaced by AI. So from a marketing perspective, I I found it really interesting in terms of how you actually differentiate. When we think about the audience that shows up to CES, which are typically people that are very much deep into this industry, that are early adopters of new kinds of technology, they loved that. 
But to your point around the trust barometer, you know, the halo of technology, trust in technology does not filter down to the subsectors of technology, specifically AI. There's almost like a, a two to one difference. And I think the audience of CES may have loved to hear about the AI, but I don't know for the average consumer whether, you know, how brands showed up at CES is going to change how they feel about this technology. Yeah, I would agree. And if I, if I could just jump in here, people are afraid of the things that they don't know or understand. And the faster that that comes at them, the more fear that they have. And I think that's part of what shows up in the trust barometer. People are concerned about innovation and that pace of change, if anything, is just accelerating. And I think the proliferation of AI, and yes, it used to be called smart technologies, but just the proliferation of it and the speed at which it is now happening, I think it is only going to reinforce, reinforce a lot of those worries. And, and Gary, you, you mentioned about the fact that AI is mentioned a lot now as a word, and, and it's a really big sort of marketing and PR buzzword. Uh, Jessica, I, I want to go to you. Is, is this something that you're hearing clients want to talk about it a lot more now because it is at the top of the conversation? Definitely. I think a lot of clients are trying to figure out how they want to talk about AI and how they're going to introduce AI into product roadmaps where AI may have not been a focus in the past. So I think it's definitely a trend we're going to continue to see. And something I think that came out of CES is also being wary of overusing AI and over-indexing on that term if the product isn't truly using it in an innovative way or in a helpful way or a realistic way. So it's it's kind of a, a healthy balance between the two. Great. And um, I've, I've got to ask this because I think the Back to the Future lied to us in many ways. We we're supposed to have flying cars by now and all the rest of it. Was there anything at CES this year that blew you away in terms of um, transport, uh, Jessica? Yes, I loved to see the new ways cars are going to move around. So we saw a lot of cars or not a lot, just a few applications of how cars are going to be able to move side to side, crab walk, pivot in circles. Um, Hyundai had one that was called the Mobion, and that one was really interesting to see how it can move in new ways, in, and especially for city living, to be able to move laterally into a spot or if you're in a tight parking spot. I thought that was very cool. And Mercedes displayed something too, was a little different, but it could basically turn on or in a radius. That was that was pretty cool. I, I saw that and it looks like a dream for where I live in particular, where there's nowhere to park and I'm terrible at parking anyway. That was like, I need that right now. So yeah, and, and anything that, that you saw on, on that and from an EV or vehicle perspective, well, transport in general, Michael. Yeah, I was really fascinated by uh, a product called Elevate, which also came from Hyundai and is essentially like a spider-like vehicle, electric vehicle that, you know, as we think about the challenges faced by climate change and increasingly extreme weather events that occur, this is a, a, a vehicle that at least was touted as being able to go into extreme weather kinds of situations to facilitate rescue. And just visually, it was really quite stunning and arresting to see how that actually plays out in real life, I think, remains to be seen. There are many 
solutions in, in search of problems to solve that show up at CES rather than the other way around, of course. So, but I can see the use case. And so it'll be interesting to see how that space develops as, you know, presumably we're going to be dealing with those kinds of events more frequently moving forward. Gary, any flying cars that you saw this year? Well, actually there were some flying cars and maybe they're not ready for everyday use now, but perhaps within, within the decade, certainly. And again, Hyundai, that's a name that seems to be coming up on this, in this conversation. Uh, they had a electric vertical takeoff demo that they showcased, and they're saying that production could be as early as 2028. So we may see flying cars in, in the next five to seven years. That sounds really, really exciting. So if you're enjoying the conversation, stick around because we're going to be talking about robots and some of the more unique finds at this year's CES. But first, let's revisit the last episode of Sideload when we discussed immersive experiences. With this next set of technologies, say you have a small local museum that a thousand people visit you know, a day, but you know what? This, whatever the thing you, you're showcasing is, has a diehard following of 200,000 people globally who are never going to come. But you could create a digital representation of it and allow anyone in the world to visit it and pay you real money, 10 to $20 or whatever the number may be. So that digital reach is really, really exciting. And the key thing is those people have crafted incredible narratives around people who attending the space, how they move through it, the signage, the storytelling, the asset, everything else is really good, you know, design. So if we just lift and shift that into a digital world, you don't have to reimagine it. You have to do something crazy and new. We're already really good at the real world, but now we can give the physical world, the real world, digital reach. You're listening to Sideload and we're discussing the key takeaways from CES 2024. Our guests are Edelman's Jessica Ranfull, Gary Grossman, and Michael Thompson. So, Michael, it feels like we see robots every year at CES, but many don't make it to the market and make any meaningful contribution to society. Was this year different? I'll, I'll say it's a definite maybe. I do think that, you know, as AI progresses, how that manifests in this space is going to be really interesting. I'll call up Bali from our client, Samsung, that I found really interesting is, you know, some of you may recall in 2020, the original version of Bali came out and it was sort of pent. And I actually love that they've, you know, doubled down on this. And, you know, the use cases I think are really interesting. Obviously, you know, all of them, whether it's LG or others, the privacy piece as it relates to how an AI robot assistant is going to live and function and partner with you in your home is probably the biggest barrier in my opinion. And so figuring that piece out, I think will be really important for this space to actually break through. And uh, Gary, why do we have this fascination with robots anyway? Even if you go back as far as like the 80s and seeing robots in movies and things like that, what is it about robots that we just love and find so so fascinating? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not sure that I'm really qualified to answer that particular question, but it just seems to be buried somehow in our subconscious mind that we can recreate ourselves or some facsimile thereof to perform tasks on our behalf. 
And, and I, you know, this is a technology that has been shown at CES, as Michael mentioned, but I do feel it's getting much, much closer now to actual use cases where by the end of the decade, again, that's my, my feeling that we will, uh, many people at least will start to have robots in the home, not just to vacuum floors, but to uh, perform a lot of day-to-day tasks. And one of the big breakthroughs for robots is generally the big breakthrough, and that's these large language models like ChatGPT, because now the robots in effect are going to have kind of a brain that they will be able to understand everyday language and that the commands that we issue, and they will be able to respond in kind. And that combined with their camera vision capabilities in which they can see the, the world, the space around them will allow them to maneuver and just perform much more effectively than they've been able to in the past. And what we saw at CES this year is maybe the first real iteration of that. And what about you, Jessica? Were, were there any sort of um, cool robots you, th- you saw that would might be useful and that you might see around the house really soon? It did. It seemed like there were a lot of very task-specific robots versus what we maybe have seen before, which is a robot that can do lots of different things. So I thought it was interesting to see there's lawnmower robots, pool cleaning robots, street sweeping robots, even a lot of applications for robotic arms that can do really practical things like stacking boxes on a pallet, heavy boxes on a pallet more strategically, or being able to sort the recycling. I saw this robotic arm from Dusan that could pick up different cans and or or objects and figure out what kind of uh, recycling spot it needed to go in, but would also empty it of its contents first and then put it away. And I thought that that was, that was pretty cool. There was also, it is a robot. It didn't really look like a robot, but it was a autonomous parking robot called Parky. And it was a flat rectangle that could go under cars, had little arms that would swing out and squeeze the tires so that the car would lift up and it could move any car in kind of any direction. And so you could see that being really useful in tight spaces and kind of being able to autonomously go to autonomously go get your car and bring it back to you or move it around. And I, I thought it was very cool. And I, I think it won the uh, CES Best Innovation Award. That sounds really, really cool. And and it's really interesting because obviously, as we discussed, there, there are concerns about where where robots or AI might, there's the risk of it replacing them. But I think when it's in the home and there's tasks and chores that no one likes doing chores, right? I, I think if, if there's solutions that we can have in our home that makes things easier, then I, I think everyone will be, will be up for that. So... Were you at CES specifically, Jessica, to, su- to support any clients? And, and what were they showcasing and which other brands showed up well this year? I was not there for a specific client. I was really there on behalf of the tech team just to see what was new and to be able to spend time walking the space because, you know, a lot of teams that are there for a specific client are, you know, dedicated to that client and not necessarily walking the whole showroom floor, which is many, many buildings and many, many miles. So I wasn't there for that. But one of our clients, Samsung, showed up so beautifully. Their space was incredible. There was a very long line that wrapped around the space waiting to get in. So I I really loved their space this year. How about you, uh, Michael? Were you there supporting anyone, anyone specifically? And who showed up well for you? 
Yeah. So I was there generally as well, although I did support Samsung during their, as part of their press conference early on in the week. You know, I hate to, to repeat, but I do think the Samsung space was incredibly impressive and many of the innovations I think um, were incredible. So I would call out like the music frame, I think was for me really interesting as someone who loves music and design and aesthetic and thinking about how things like that can seamlessly fit into your house. And I was really taken by their, this AI powered fridge that can both track what's in your fridge, but also provide recommendations to you using a large language model to, to track and figure out how to put, you know, the five ingredients in your fridge together and make dish recommendations based on that. And then even speak to your AI powered oven to turn it on to the right temperature and, you know, how all of those things get connected inside of a home, you know, connected home has existed for a long time, but I do think, you know, it's actual promise is about to skyrocket. So finally then, any sort of weird or wacky things that you saw? There's always some, isn't there? Some that, that, that might be, be cool and interesting, some that you just think it will never, never work. Hey, Jessica, should we start with you? Sure. I think that this, what I saw was a robotic arm massage table. So it kind of flips the traditional massage chair basically on its head. And so you would lay down on this traditional looking massage table and it had AI that would scan your body and a little robotic arm would come out with what looked almost like a little foot to massage people in a way you would expect from a more traditional massage. And I think it's it's very practical and something that, you know, you could even install in some kind of spa setting and have people come in and get a short massage and head out. So I thought that was really cool. And in terms would of- Would you be massaged um, by a robot or would you prefer a human? Well, it depends. I didn't get to try it, so I'm not sure. But I think there's a use case for both. And they actually had, you know, I think a use case for installing it into offices where people could go and for 20 minutes get a really short, quick massage in between a meeting. And so I think use cases like that, it could be it could be pretty cool. Um, there was also robotic dog companions that seemed interesting. They could kind of follow your dog around the house. So if they move to a spot where your traditional camera couldn't see them, they could kind of follow them. And there was also talk of it being able to tell if your dog was in distress and to somehow, you know, be able to throw a ball or distract it or give it a treat if it was alone and, and feeling upset about that. So with all of us going back to the office, I think that seemed pretty interesting. Michael? Yeah, there was a couple. I mean, there's a lot, to be honest, <laughs> but I'll call out a couple. You know, I, I mentioned earlier, you know, solutions in search of problems. One that I found I was just sort of blown away by it's called the Perfecta Grill, which is marketed as an AI-powered meat cooker that retails for $3,500 and really focused on being able to, like, make the perfect steak. Now, the ROI on a perfect steak for $3,500 feels mismatched to the opportunity. So that was one that sort of struck me. Now, one that is actually a problem, which is people snoring, which I've been guilty before of in my life. And there's a, they, they put out, I believe it's called, I have to double check, but it's an AI powered smart pillow that effectively, you know, can sense when your airways are blocked when you're breathing. 
and nudge the pillow in order to put you in a position where your airways are more open, you're breathing properly, and you're not snoring and disrupting, you know, whatever partner you might be sharing that bed with. So that one I thought was really interesting. I don't know what adoption will look like, but the price point was, I believe, about $299, which, you know, pillows are expensive. So that's actually not out of range. And anything weird and wacky that, that, that you saw, Gary? Well, it's, it's interesting to me because Michael and Jessica have actually listed the ones that I was going to talk about. So I think, I think there's a consensus here as what was if not wackiest, at least most different and, and kind of interesting novel kinds of applications. I will say about the, the massage arm though, uh, you could imagine all kinds of possibilities. Like, does it have a voice? You know, you could, you could select your personality. Do you want it to talk with you or to not? Do you want just quiet? And I could see this being maybe a, a disintermediation of the massage industry. So maybe I shouldn't laugh at that, but I, I, you could definitely see where, where that one might lead. I, I, I just, I'm a bit skeptical about that one. So I just think a, a massage is one of those things that I will always want a human to do. But let's clip that and, and play it back in about 10 years time. And let's see if I agree with it still or not. But I want to finish by asking you this, Michael. Say I was a, a client who maybe wanted to go to CES for the first time. How would you advise a client about really showing up well and, and turning heads at a show as big as CES? Yeah, it's a challenging and daunting task to you know rise to the top within CES simply based on how much volume and how many how many brands show up. So obviously, you know, the product that you're showing up with is, is going to be the most important. And I think there's a distinction that I'll make between, you know, the, the conversation we just had of coverage of the unusual versus coverage of the truly innovative. And obviously, you know, the, our brand's goal is to be on the truly innovative side. The thing that was that struck me this year that I've seen in other years as well under different topics is, you know, sitting through a handful of different press conferences from various both clients and competitors on the topic of AI, it was very difficult to distinguish what was actually being said that was unique because there's a series of words that everyone's using and they're all ticking a box and and that's fine sometimes you need to take a box but if you really want to rise to the top you need to differentiate and i think it was very challenging to differentiate on the topic of ai this year and i suspect next year will be an equally challenging and so you know being able to talk about the true impact of the technology that you're introducing and its promise i think is what's going to help people differentiate because there is a commoditization that's happening within the conversation, the media conversation around AI for sure, that will be increasingly hard to break through and will require true innovation in order to, to really stand out. Well, you, you brought up an interesting point there. I, I, I keep saying this is the last question. This is definitely it now. But Gary, because uh, Michael, you mentioned that point about and differentiating and, and Gary, you, you see a lot of brand using or basing their whole business model around AI, how should or how are um, brands differentiating themselves in what is a very crowded market where everyone's claiming to be an AI business now in some shape or form? I think every company is probably struggling with that very issue, how to differentiate, especially as so many are moving in, in the same direction 
there's a search company, AI powered search company called you.com, and they have to compete against the likes of Google. And yet they have found a way to do that. Just recently, they came out with a, a multimodal search capability that uses multiple AI models underneath. And, and so it's basically to you know, a challenge to, I guess, reinvent existing categories as well as to dream up new ones. And, you know, we, we've seen this, this play before. There aren't going to be that many winners and, and uh, there will be a big shakeout in the whole realm of companies that are pursuing this AI goal. So it's going to be a really interesting few years, but I, I guess I would just say, you know, really that AI has been compared to the biggest thing since electricity. And, and now we are beginning to see that uh, play out, that AI is just basically going to permeate through almost all product categories. Well, brilliant. Thanks, Jessica, Gary and Michael for joining us on this episode of Sideload. And thanks to you for listening to Sideload. And don't forget to follow the podcast on your favorite podcast player. Just search Edelman UK. And if you want to get in touch, send an email to sideload at edelman.com. See you next time.